This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This evening we'll be looking at verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Paul writes, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray as we take up this study of it this evening that you would guide us into a deeper knowledge of and appreciation of the truths that are taught here certainly to embrace them with our minds, but also with our whole hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Slightly farther along in this epistle of Paul, he speaks of his experience in ministry. In chapter 6, verse 4, he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Which makes one wonder, why would not he eventually reach a point where he just threw in the towel? And was it possible that there would be that straw that broke the camel's back? Just one sleepless night, too many. One imprisonment, too many. One beating and being left for dead, too many. And how, how much can one human being take? At what point do you simply say, enough, I'm going to go do something else. Well, in Paul's case, he explains to us what it is that kept him going in spite of bruises and perhaps broken bones and sleep deprivation and hunger and shipwrecks and everything else that he experienced. And as he's writing of his own experience in ministry and really some of the motivation that that kept him going here in chapter 4, he continues somewhat in that vein in the passage that we've just read and uh, shares with us some of what it was that enabled him to get up, to go back into the city, and continue to serve Christ. As we've looked at chapter 4, and Paul is uh, spelling out really the the philosophy uh, and the methodology of his ministry to these Corinthians, and doing so 
to try to reestablish his credibility with them after others had come in and tried to discredit him or at least minimize his, his person and his ministry. Uh, he begins chapter 4 by saying, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And so right there, Paul tells us that one of the things that kept him going was the fact that, that God had called him to this work. In fact, Christ had commissioned him to this work on the Damascus Road. Um, Jesus, the Lord, had said to uh, Ananias, you know, when he went to go uh, pray with Paul after Paul met Jesus on that road, he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. It's almost as if Paul completely changed changed places from the persecutor to the persecuted. And he, he did, in fact, suffer in many ways what he once had dished out to Christians. Uh, he suffered as one. And Paul spells out the philosophy of his ministry in uh, the first few verses, that it is one characterized uh, by the call of God, one characterized by an open integrity in his dealings with people and his handling of the Word of God, one characterized... Uh, by a, a Christ-centered focus to it. Christ was the message. Verse 5, uh, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then the last few verses, paragraphs, a couple paragraphs that we've been studying, Paul emphasizes his weakness and yet God's strength in that weakness, uh, likening himself to an earthen vessel, whether uh, a simple clay oil lamp, that despite the uh, simplicity and the relative lack of value of, of that little vessel, shined with a, a light that gave light to the room, or whether the idea Paul had was a vessel that contained that in itself was of not much value but contained a valuable treasure, uh, Paul sees himself as this this mere earthen vessel, this this jar of clay that nevertheless contains the surpassing value, the treasure of the gospel. And then last time we looked at verses 13 and 14 and 15, where Paul's willingness to keep speaking arises out of his conviction of the truth of those things that he, he taught and that he preached. Uh, I believed and therefore I spoke, quoting from the psalmist. Uh, again, confidence not only in the power of the word of God, but power of the resurrection of Christ, knowing he raised the dead will raise us also. It's a little bit easier to take being beaten within an inch of your life if you know that if you are, that last inch is gone and you die, that God is going to raise you up one day in Christ, that death is not the end, it doesn't have the last word. And uh, certainly Paul's concern in verse 15, for the glory of God, that as the gospel spreads, as more and more people come to a knowledge of Christ, that that brings more glory to God, more thanksgiving, more people who have experienced his grace and therefore are thanking God and praising him. And really, Paul is motivated, uh, certainly out of his love for people, his concern about their spiritual well-being, but above all, for the glory of God, and that people should be worshiping the one true and living God. And it delights Paul to think that through his efforts, others will come to know Christ. Others will offer up a a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to God, and God will be glorified. And for that reason, Paul says in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Now, 
There's, a, there's, a, there's sort of an inclusio, a, a bookend phenomenon uh, here that he begins the chapter by saying, having this, mercy, this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And he goes to the end and he says, so we do not lose heart. But he goes on to explain a little bit what keeps him going in the verses that we looked at. When he says, so we do not lose heart, he, he's looking back at what he's just said. It's these kinds of considerations that keep him going. But he also is looking forward to these uh, verses that we'll be looking at tonight. These things also are, are what stand behind his uh, intrepid spirit in pursuing the mission work that God had given him to do. So let's look at these things here, and certainly they apply to us as they apply to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he did not lose heart because of these things, and the same would be true of us, that in following Christ and serving Christ and living as a Christian in this world, that we also do not lose heart, particularly here because of what we value, because of what we place priority on. So let's look at these things here. First of all, we don't lose heart as followers of Christ living in this world because we value the inner person over the outer person. Look at verse 16. Paul says, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed Day by day. Now, we need to be careful here. Uh, Paul was not a dualist. In other words, he didn't divide people into two parts. Now, it was a, a common attitude in his day, in Greek philosophy particularly, to divide a person into his soul or his spirit and his, his body, as if almost two different people or two different aspects of one person And Paul, in some ways, adopts that language here, speaking of our inner nature, our outer nature. But we need to understand Paul isn't dividing us into two parts. If he's looking at us in two different ways, he's doing so as as who we are in in our in our in our whole constitution as a human being, not just the body, but even mental perception and abilities versus who we are in Christ. Uh, one way he divides might be useful here to think in terms of how Paul describes in Ephesians our old man or our old person in Adam and our new person in Christ. It's not exactly the same uh, here, but it might be more helpful to think of that way. The whole person, who we are, is fallen and dying. Who we are, the whole person now in Christ Jesus. So, just by way of preface, uh, Paul isn't, isn't falling, falling into that philosophical dualism of dividing up the person, although he does use the language a little bit here to make his point. Well, what is his point? Well, his point is this. The out, our outer nature, our outer person is wasting away. Who we are as human beings living in this world uh, over time will eventually show signs of where and Tear. Uh, and that can be discouraging uh, to anybody who, uh, who, as the years go by, sees capabilities, physical capabilities beginning to diminish, aches and pains perhaps showing up where none had been before, and so on. But Paul's talking here not just about physical ability, uh, but again, even down to our perception, our, our, our thinking, our memories, just all that we are as a person that begins to deteriorate and fade over time, and perhaps acutely so, as we reach our later years. 
there are all kinds of whole industries in our country designed to fight that inevitable march toward old age. The fact is, if you live long enough, you're going to get there. Uh, despite uh, efforts to stay healthy, despite efforts to supplement diet, despite efforts to uh, even surgical procedures to undo the effects of the passing of time, uh, this, this grand struggle to hold on to a fleeting and passing youth is, is very real. But Paul says, even though our outer nature is wasting away and maybe his joints ached and maybe his bones hurt from the beatings he had suffered as he wrote that, the consolation here is our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Now, there's a, there's a contrast. What's happening to us as we age, as our faculties begin to diminish, versus what is happening to us in Christ Jesus. The reality is that we are diminishing in our human constitution, uh, particularly physically, but not exclusively so. Um, I don't know if you know this. Some of you may know this. I only learned this uh, a few weeks ago. Um, that on the cell phones, you know, you can have various ringtones. There's a ringtone that you can get on your cell phone that children and teenagers can hear and adults can't. Do you know why? It's a very high-pitched sound. And uh, we actually had family over at our home last week, a week before Sunday, and uh, um, been visiting the church. Uh, their nephews, it's uh, Coney and Chris, their, their nephew and niece had, had come over. And they had, he had one of the cell phones, and he loaded this up. And we tried it out. And uh, there was, at a certain volume, I could hear it, but basically at the regular volume, couldn't hear a thing. Uh, we've heard, you know, in classrooms where, where one of these would go off and students are all looking. You know, it's hard to tell where it's coming from. The students are all looking and the teacher's going, what? Uh, you can't hear it. Children can hear it. Dogs can hear it. <laughs> Teenagers can hear it. Maybe uh, 20-somethings can hear it. But, and you can actually set the age you know, that you want to exclude. Uh, anyone over 30 or anyone over 40, probably not going to hear this high-pitched sound going off. Well, as you age, and just the wear and tear on your hearing and uh, so forth, you start losing the ability to hear that, that very quiet, high-pitched noise. Now, in my case, I couldn't hear it, but I do hear this constant ringing in my left ear, particularly all the time, uh, which my audiologist sister says is probably from my years in high school and college band. You know, I hear that little high-pitched sound all the time in my left ear especially. But the one on the cell phone, I couldn't hear. So, um, yeah, we do, we do lose our abilities over time. However, the compensation is, Paul says, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Uh, who we are in Christ. And that's what Paul values. If Paul valued the preservation of his body, he probably would have quit. Paul's ears may have ringed from, uh, may have rang wrong. He heard something in his ear. From those times perhaps when he was hit in the head, you know, when a rock hit him. Uh, Paul suffered. He ached. He, he, if he valued his body, he would have given it up. Now, no doubt he wanted to take care of his body, but he was more concerned about the, uh, the, the renewal, the, the growing stronger of his inner nature, of who he was in Christ on a day-by-day basis. So he doesn't lose heart, and we shouldn't either. Sure, we want to take care of our bodies. Yes, we want to preserve them, uh, ultimately for Christ's use as long as we can. 
We want to live in ways that are healthy. We want to do what we can to protect our physical abilities and perception and so forth. But we don't make that an idol. Uh, And we rejoice even as those things fade, even just lamenting the passing of time and and the loss of what once was to the fact that we're growing in Christ. And as we grow older, we become more mature, more knowledgeable, even as physical powers and abilities might fade. The inner wisdom, maturity, perception, strength uh, grows stronger on a day-by-day basis. And Paul valued that, and that's what kept him going. So we don't lose heart, just as Paul didn't, because we value the inner person and our growth in grace over the outer person and physical mental capabilities. Number two, uh, Paul says in verse 17 that he he does not lose heart, and we too do not lose heart, because we value the eternal glory over passing comfort. Look at verse 17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Slight Momentary affliction? Well, you read the list, and there are other lists of the kinds of things that Paul suffered. I I don't think that I would describe some of them as slight. Uh, And Paul didn't mean that in and of themselves they were nothing. Uh, Some horrible things that nobody should have to endure that Paul did. And yet he can call them slight, or uh, the word could also mean light. The point is that they don't have much weight. Uh, not only are they light, not bearing much weight, but he describes them, perhaps more importantly, as momentary, as uh, ephemeral, as passing, not the permanent state of things. Uh, in and of themselves, no, they were, they were no easy, uh, easy thing to handle. And some of this was quite an ordeal, I'm sure. And yet Paul was willing to endure them because he saw by comparison to something better, they were slight, These things were momentary, and even in Paul's life, they came up and they went. His whole life was not one long, continual beating. There were nights when Paul slept well. So even in the context of his own life, they were momentary. But even then, he's looking at it in terms of this life versus the life to come. And that's what he brings up. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Uh, momentary on the afflictions, eternal on the glory, slight on the afflictions, and weight on the glory. It would be like uh, the difference between a feather and a gold brick, weight. The word that Paul tra- uses translated weight here is baros, or baros, a uh, word from which uh, our word barometric pressure comes, the weight of the atmosphere and the pressure what the pressure reading is for that day. Uh, this idea that, that the affliction is light, uh, insubstantial, unsubstantial. The, the glory is something heavy, substantial, eternal, uh, is, is Paul's aspect, his perspective on this. And he values the coming weighty eternal glory over that slight and momentary affliction. But notice the relationship. It's not just that one precedes the other. The one prepares the other. Notice what he said. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Now, Paul isn't meaning to say that somehow our suffering earns us merit with God. It doesn't. Plenty of people have suffered horrible things in this world that has absolutely nothing to do with any salvation and glory because they're not bound for glory, because they are dead and lost in their sins, and because they haven't and will not come to Christ. There were people who suffered terribly and will die in their sins. Suffering does not earn merit with God. But preparing in the sense that these sufferings, for Christ's sake, that Paul endures, uh, are a way that he is identified with Christ, that he participates in Christ, that he shares in Christ's sufferings, sufferings which did win merit with the Father for us, as Christ was obedient for us, as he ultimately died for us. And so this cannot be disconnected from our relationship with Christ, our suffering in Christ, does prepare for us glory in the future. Paul speaks of this in other places. Um, Romans 8.18, for instance, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of our Lord Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Uh, Jesus himself was willing to endure the suffering of the cross because of the reward that, that, that lay ahead, because of the joy of having accomplished the, the mission for which the Father sent him, for the joy of having those for whom he died there with him in heaven. There was those things that steeled his spine that night in Gethsemane to go forward and endure the agony of the cross. And so we don't lose heart, on the one hand, because we value the growth of our inner person in Christ over uh, our outer nature, physical abilities. We don't lose heart, as Paul says here, because we value that eternal glory to come over our current comfort. All of us wants to be comfortable. We all want to be at ease. We certainly don't want to suffer the kinds of things that Paul suffered here. Most likely we won't in our context, though you never know. Uh, believers in other parts of the world suffer many of these same things, even now, even in this day. Um, but nevertheless, we are willing, if necessary, to endure those kinds of things uh, because we are looking forward to and value more that eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. Uh, literally in Greek, the language Paul uses there is, is hyperbole to hyperbole. I mean, the word is hyperbolos, uh, hyperbole. Uh, it's repeated, hyperbole to hyperbole. It's the, it doesn't really translate, but the point is beyond comparison, over what I can say, over what I can describe, beyond what we could, could come up with by comparison, beyond all comparison is what he says. But third, uh, we don't lose heart. Because we value what is invisible over what is visible. Look at verse 18. Paul says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is hard, because this calls for living by faith. Uh, It's easy to become focused on what we see. It's easy to lose sight of, no pun intended, to lose sight of what we don't see. Uh, I can remember visiting someone years ago uh, in, a, in a hospital, and a, and a family member came in and made the comment, well, I deal with what I can see. 
you know, directed toward me for my benefit, implying, you know, that I deal with what you can't see. The implication being that's not real. I deal with real life. Um, in fact, what you cannot see is real life. What you see is passing. The whole system of this world, our economy, political structures, world powers, passing away. Ephemeral. It's real, but it is transient. And that's what Paul says here. The things that are seen are transient. Uh, Peter speaks to this when he describes uh, everything going along as it has, but the day of the Lord is coming. When the Lord returns, when the judgment will come, when everything will be purged with the fire of God's judgment and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. What so many people value today, those things that are seen, property, power, money, possessions, all of that is transient. It's passing away. And even if it doesn't, you will. So... We value the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal, though unseen, over the things that are seen and transient. Now, we live in a world where we see things. Obviously, there's a lot we see, and we have to negotiate and live with and operate in this world of what is seen. But as the whole scriptures teach us, we do it with wisdom. We do it with a different perspective. We don't do it as though this world and what it has is all there is. But ultimately, we live for what lies ahead. We live for what lies Beyond, very much struck uh, by uh, every time I read it in Second Kings, we have the whole situation of the visible and the invisible. Second Kings chapter six. The king of Syria is warring against Israel, and. Uh, Verse 15, the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? We're surrounded. Powers, the army of Syria is here. What can we do? Verse 16, he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Sometimes we need to pray or have an Elisha pray for us. Lord, open his eyes. Help him to see that this world, that what is surrounding us isn't the whole picture. It isn't the entire reality. But as the servant of Elisha was able to see those horses and chariots of fire all around and to see the situation as it really is, we need to pray that God would give us the eyes of faith to see that what we see with our physical eyes is not all that there really is. It's not the whole picture. So it's these things that kept Paul going. In addition to the concerns and the considerations he's already looked at, uh, these other things that Paul mentions here are the things that he values valuing his sanctification over his physical comfort and abilities, valuing eternal glory over his passing ease, uh, valuing what is invisible and unseen over those things in this world that are seen and visible. Well, it's certainly true that um, none of us likes to see our abilities fade uh, we live in a world where what is seen, and it can be very easy to be caught up in that world. 
uh, it's certainly tempting sometimes to see eternal glory as something distant, uh, being tempted to wonder whether it'll ever really come, and so to settle for what we can get out of this world. If you do any of those things, you're going to lose heart. You're not going to follow Christ when things are difficult. You're going to trade for the easy. You're going to trade for the quick fix. That's not what Paul did, and that's why he could keep going, and that's what we must not do. And in not doing those things and not settling for those things, we will be able to keep going as well. Because we are convinced as followers of Christ that what we gain in Christ is ultimately far more valuable, far more satisfying, far more magnificent than anything in this world that we might have lost. It's Paul's perspective. It's what kept him going. It should be ours as well. Let's pray. Father, we confess that too often we don't live by faith. Too often uh, we are more concerned with the physical and the worldly than we are with the spiritual, more concerned uh, with taking care of ourselves now and avoiding discomfort and affliction than we are winning that eternal glory, that we are all too often fixated merely on what we see, forgetting that that is not the whole picture. Lord, forgive us. Lord, increase our faith. Drive home to us, Lord, the realities that Scripture teaches us, those things of which it speaks. And Father, we pray that like Elisha's servant, you would open our eyes, that we would truly see with the eyes of faith given by your Spirit, the the real picture, that we would live for those things that truly are eternal, those things that truly are glorious, and that are before every child of God in Christ Jesus. Give us grace, Lord, to persevere in serving you and following Christ to the end. Lord, that we might be there one day with Paul and with countless others who have been faithful to Christ to the end. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.